Before we begin today's episode, I'd like to start with a quick message from the hosts at Netflix and Kill. On our podcast, we submerse ourselves in the world of fictional horror, but this doesn't mean that we ignore the horrors that we face in real life. One of these horrors is racism. Racism affects real people every day, who have to go about their normal routines with the fear of being hurt or killed simply for the color of their skin. We stand with the Black Lives Matter movement in their fight against police brutality. If you haven't already, please consider donating to one of the amazing causes we have linked in our show notes. If you don't have the means right now, that's okay. There are still other ways you can help. One of those ways is research and education. There's an amazing documentary right now on the horror streaming service Shudder. The documentary is called Horror Noir, and you can watch it with a free trial. It's about the history of black horror filmmakers and actors. Black voices have contributed to this genre in fundamental ways since its inception and continue to do so today. If you have any recommendations of black horror films or podcasts that you would like for us to promote on our show, or if you would simply like to discuss any of these topics with us, please feel free to reach out to us at netflixandkillofficialpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at Netflix underscore in, as in the letter in, underscore kill. to Netflix and Kill, podcast dedicated to reviewing and documenting the horror films of Netflix. This month, we are taking a little break from Netflix and focusing on a theme instead. The theme is... Musicals! <laughs> the musicals! What could be more exciting than a musical? I am a simp for musicals. I love That's them, valid. I adore them, and I sing them all the time. Um, I do have a little bit of shame about it, but that shame goes away with um, movie musicals that are in the horror genre. Yeah. I, I just like, I like musicals. <laughs> I like horror musicals. I, I, yeah. I would say out of the three of us here, I'm probably the least like into musicals, but horror musicals is like my absolute yeah. favorite thing. My... Um, um, my Mostly thing. because I didn't have a bunch of theater kids telling me, like, how, I don't know, like, trying to mansplain to me about it. Yeah. Because none of them have seen Evil Dead the Musical. <laughs> so Evil Dead the I Musical feel... is the best musical. Yeah, Let's I feel like I'm just safe <laughs> in this little, like, area of trashy horror musicals, mm-hmm. and, and I love it. My first musical was, um, I think... Uh, the Harry Potter musical that was on uh, YouTube and all the Star Kid musicals after that. And that's how I kind of got into those. And I will only watch trashy, silly, fun things, sometimes with gore. Because honestly, Star Kid musicals are getting into the horror genre now and I'm all for it. So that that's my little niche of musicals is the... The ones that know they are trashy and fun and will just do whatever they want with them. <laughs> I I do tend to, I like to explore the entire genre because it's it's got subgenres within genres. Like, especially now with the trend of, like, musicals taking off of movies. Whereas back in the olden times, movies were taking musicals and making big th- theatrical adaptations. I do tend to um, gravitate more towards musicals that came out in the 70s, like Rocky Horror and um, Cabaret and just stuff that got really experimental and weird and were very um, open with the fact that um, the gay community does tend to rally around uh, Broadway and musicals. Um, and I... I just love how unabashedly silly it can be and how people just sing their feelings and it's just it's just a magical experience to be in a room with someone who like is belting their heart out and so is so sincere about the things they are saying and singing and I think it can get lost because Broadway has become so elitist so it feels like people are um excluded from this experience 
or like you have to watch like I don't know Sound of Music and like every Golden Age musical in order to be a part of the experience but that's such bullshit because there's so much out there musicals are like film it's just a medium and you can do whatever you want with it I made a capstone musical about Dungeons and Dragons and it and was it so was much so fun. good it was so good, was so good. <laughs> yeah I just I I particularly love horror musicals because they tend to break the tropes or make fun of the tropes that musicals have made for themselves. Like the musical we're going to talk about today definitely does that. Cause I just, I get so bored with the same old ingenue and leading man and the one character actress and the one character actor and the blah, 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 blah. But horror musicals, you never know what you're going to get. And it's so much fun. Mm -hmm. It's okay. You can and... say Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> I like I'm... Phantom of the Opera. It's a horror musical. It is. I I am teasing. Yeah. I actually I love Phantom of the Opera, but uh, we're I not love... talking about that. I'm gonna actually bring it back to something you mentioned um, that musicals are very big in the gay community, and that's part of the reason why I kind of suggested this theme for this month. It is June. Um, we'll pretend it's June. We're actually recording this in May. Don't tell anyone. Um, <laughs> June is Gay Pride Month. And so I, you know, last year we specialized in, like, horror that had queer themes. But, like, I think this year I decided to take a different spin on it. And, like, okay, we're gonna go with horror musicals and talk about the ways they, um, why they might resonate so much with this community and um a lot of horror musicals do have queer themes in them and uh, aside from that it's also hannah's birthday month and hannah loves musicals not gonna I lie do. that's like another big reason why i chose the theme for this month oh yes. thank you yeah uh so, I'm so excited happy hannah, birthday you, like... you gay icon yeah Aww. happy birthday <laughs> uh would you like to tell us which movie we are talking about today Hmm. Oh, Rocky! We're going to be talking about the Rocky Horror Picture Show. The film was based on a musical that was released in 1973 in London by Richard O'Brien. It is a love letter to the old schlocky horror movies that were released between the 1930s and the 1960s. Uh, very Plan 9 from Outer Space type films. Um... And it just kind of jumbles them all together, adds a dash of glitter, um, some 70s punk rock undertones, and combines this bubblegum 50s pop with this 70s glam rock and turned into a midnight movie sensation in 1975 starring Tim Curry. And it's still iconic to this very day. And so many people uh, who are in the queer community um, realized they were by watching this movie and seeing people be so unabashedly um just queer essentially and they realized it was a thing of of beauty and of fun and it didn't have to be something they had to be ashamed of and i think that's why it resonates so much with the the queer community mm -hmm. yeah. yeah i know that like for a long time the there were midnight screenings of this i mean there still are all over the country and it was always considered kind of a safe space for queer people or just outsiders of any kind, which I think is super cool. Because, like, to me, that's what horror is about. Horror is about championing um, the marginalized, right? I mean, down to, like, the final girl trope or the monsters, which even, like, in the 50s when they were supposed to be the villains, I feel like queer people always kind of identified with the monsters. There are so there are so many songs about wanting to fuck monsters from like the 30s and the 50s. Like it's it's a whole subgenre that like ended up in my Halloween playlist. <laughs> so like because it's monsters are sexy. Guillermo they are. knows this. <laughs> oh god, yes. God, yes. And Richard O'Brien, I think, was one of those people who who saw these movies and found comfort in them and found more interest in the monsters than the heroes that you're supposed to identify with. Because, you know, in the back in the day, you were supposed to be like, ah, oh, we must protect the breeding pair and defeat the evil monster who transgresses on society's values. And then people who were um, outsiders or forced to the the fringes of society looked at the monsters and said, those guys are way cooler, way more interesting, and go through way more and, shit and than way these sexier. people ever do. <laughs> this is true. 
And then the content in the 70s where the punk movement was just beginning uh, started focusing more on people society tends to look down upon and says, hey, these people are way cooler than you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure most of our audience is probably at least somewhat familiar with Rocky Horror. Uh, I think it's pretty well known now. But just in case, would you like to give a summary of the film's plot? Me? Yeah. If that's oh. okay, I don't want to put you on the spot. No, it's it's okay. It's just um this plot is uh it's something. Yeah. It, it's it something sure else. is a thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, which is even funnier that it's so hard to describe the plot because there's literally a narrator who I, like yeah. tells you now this is happening and now this is happening and you're, it's still so confusing. Okay, so Brad and Janet are two all-American kids who just got out of their friend's wedding. And Brad proposes to Janet um, through song, as you do. And they decide to go tell the news of their engagement to their old college professor, Dr. Scott, where they, um, because his class was where they met, I think. Yes, I know. I'm not going to say I think, because I know this shit. Um, You do know this. Thank you. And then they, their car breaks down in the middle of a thunderstorm, and they go to a nearby castle to search for help. And lo and behold, who should be there but Tim, Cur- I mean, Dr. Frankenfurter. And Dr. Frankenfurter is not like anyone they have ever seen. Dr. Frankenfurter um, appears masculine, but has makeup and defies defini- definition. God, I'm so sorry. A lot of um, uh, uh, femme presentation. Yes. Yes, indeed. Um, and then they witness Dr. Frankenfurter bring uh, their creation to life in the form of a very muscular bodybuilding uh, Frankenstein-esque creature. And throughout the night, they are seduced, chased, tormented a little bit, but never like mean too mean-spirited in the torment. Uh, by Dr. Frankenfurter until it all culminates in this big floor show uh, where Dr. Frankenfurter sings this big song and everybody does a kick line and it's great. And Dr. Scott shows up because he works for a secret government agency that has been tracking Dr. Frankenfurter. (laughs) Um, And then Dr. Frankenfurter's minions turn against uh, Dr. Frankenfurter, kill him, uh, his groupie, and his creation, and then let Brad, Janet, and Dr. Scott go before blasting off back to their home planet because Dr. Frankenfurter and his group has been aliens this whole time. And then Meatloaf's in there, but I kind of forgot to talk about him. He's not that important. That's the All best the- I could do. I'm so sorry. It was so rambly. <laughs> I no, mean, you're, you're fine. Good. <laughs> but the like- reason I asked is because I I definitely can't describe that movie. So I think you did. Yeah. However, Meatloaf is one of the best parts of the movie, mainly just because I really love his song. <laughs> Here's the thing. I can't tell what is necessary to the plot. All I can tell you is everything is necessary for the experience. Yes. Yeah, it's true. That's a good way to to word it. I think that overall, this movie is more of an experience than like a storyline. Because Marty and I were kind of discussing this uh, before we started recording. It's it was good to rewatch it because the first time, uh, I don't know if I really got that much of the plot. I don't know if I got that much of the plot this time, honestly. I just, but I I got a big smile on my face, and like that's kind of more of what's important to me, at least. Yeah, Rocky Horror is much more about the experience than the actual um, plot or even filmmaking. Although I I will go to bat for this film's um, choice in um, cinematography and lighting and sound design. Um, oh hell because yeah! It's production so design. Oh hell hell yeah! This um the designers on this movie went on to create so many movements that were so important to the queer community. Um, but it's so hard to justify a musical film because, you know, why don't you just do it as a stage show? Um, well, for me, the answer is because a lot of people don't have access to see Rocky Horror live. Like, I didn't see Rocky Horror live until I was in college. 
Um, and I live in the middle of Iowa, so I don't have access to mu musicals um, other than movies. Yeah. I still haven't seen Rocky Horror Live. I haven't either. A, a theater here does it every year, and I just, like, never got around to seeing it, because I'm always kind of busy. I mean, yeah. Like, yeah. I work at a haunted house, so, like, you know, usually when October comes, I'm just working every weekend. My freshman year of college, um, I was a theater student, and they had an opportunity to usher for uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show live um, in that theater you're talking about, Kyla. It's the Lyric Theater in Oklahoma City. Uh, they do such a good job. They even have midnight showings, like the the screenings of the film, where you can like throw things and um, yell at the performers, as long as it's very respectful and you're not hurting anybody. And it was just, it was insane. Like we pass, I was in charge of passing out shots to people and giving people bread to throw when Frankenfurter said toast, and then they throw toast in the air. Everybody that called Brad amazing. an asshole, and like Frankenfurter <laughs> got into the crowd and crawled all over people chasing Rocky, and it was so, it was so good. It was so much fun. God, that sounds that like sounds a great experience. Amazing. And I, I want to go so bad, but like I have just never gotten a moment to actually do it. And I, like, I've heard about those uh, showings quite a few times. It's just that I haven't gotten around to it, just like Kyla said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe this year we should make a goal for it. Yes, we should. Because I would absolutely love that. God, yes, my mom actually, my experience with Rocky Horror is so weird because my mom uh, accidentally went to a screening with some friends when she was in college and she had no idea what it was. And she was so scared. She thought she was going to get murdered because they all kept shouting things in unison and like throwing things and like holding up lighters. <laughs> and she was like, what the fuck is this? What is going on? Oh and then uh, afterwards, her friend fessed up and she was like, yeah, I knew this was a thing. I just wanted to see you guys' reactions. <laughs> And then That's they made amazing. it a thing to return every week and go to the shows and participate. And it's just, I love that. My mom had a copy of Rocky Horror hidden under her bed when I was a kid. And one time I found it and I was just, you could tell I was bi because I just looked at it and I was like, what the fuck is this? I want to <laughs> know. Yeah. <laughs> um, my first run in with Rocky Horror, I was like 10 or 11 and... um. My mom had the soundtrack, and so we would listen to the soundtrack um, quite a few times, um, and then I got to watch the movie, like, a couple years after that, and then, uh, yeah, it was just great. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, you guys are gonna laugh, but my first encounter with Rocky Horror was I saw the Glee episode about it when I was in <laughs> high school. <laughs> hey, oh my God, as a Gleek... As a Gleek, I would never, ever shun anyone for watching Gleek. <laughs> You're allowed to, though. It's fine. Uh, but yeah, I saw the Glee episode, and then I didn't see the actual movie until literally, like, I don't know, like a year or two ago when we were in college. I watched it with you guys for the first time. It was a fun night. Yeah, that mm -hmm. was really fun. And honestly, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have picked to watch it with anyone else, because I feel like, I don't know, it's a good friend. Aww bonding film well i still think this movie fits in the netflix and kill oeuvre because the first time i watched it through all the way was on netflix um they put it on like way back when they first put the streaming site up and i i wasn't allowed to watch all of rocky horror i was allowed to watch the first third until eddie dies because after that the, the sex starts uh, yeah <laughs> and um I just remember like crying and being so scared that someone was going to walk in and see me having such a good time with this movie. And like, I, I liked its messages so much and it just felt so right. And I, uh, I was almost ashamed that I loved it so much. And now that I'm older and more, um, exposed to, um, more inclusive media, I feel, I feel sad that my first experience was like, had this cloud of shame hanging over it. I really resonate with that, actually, Hannah. That's pretty much exactly my experience listening to Lady Gaga when I was in middle school. I was, like, super into that kind of music, and um, all of my friends shamed me out of liking it because oh. I was told, like, oh, all of her songs are so dirty, 
and sexual and she's a pervert and she's a devil worshiper and like you shouldn't listen to that and so i that same thing happened to me repressed, too <laughs> yeah it's like i repressed mm-hmm. myself and actually the first exposure i even had to the idea of that being gay was something beyond just a joke was literally the song born this way mm-hmm. um and i really liked it and i kind of like repressed all of liking that stuff um for a very long time until I got into My Chemical Romance, which is a very different kind of, like, it's not very sexual, but just dark, I guess, <laughs> in a different mm-hmm. way. Um, but anyway, still still gay and theatrical. Oh, yeah. Well, and I know that, um, like, some of the language of this 1970s uh, musical that was meant to kind of shock people um, has not aged well, but I think the undertone of just fully expressing yourself and not being ashamed to be different is such a strong theme in this show. Like, Frankenfurter is, I guess, I don't even want to call Frankenfurter the villain because everybody loves Tim Curry as Frankenfurter. They are the yeah. best character. And, like, like he's the definitely con- written to be very sympathetic, so... yeah. Oh, yeah. That song, I'm Going Home, always makes me cry. Like, I can't ever watch when uh, Riff Raff shoots Frankenfurter. It always just makes me so sad. Yeah. Yeah. And then watching Rocky pick Frankenfurter's body up, and then, like, the lasers are, like, projecting off of his body. It's like, his love is too strong, oh god! (laughs) He's too dummy thick to be killed. (laughs) He's dummy thick because of his heart. (laughs) Right. And, like, while Rocky Horror should not be, like, the pinnacle of gay representation, it was still a very important part in gay representation's history. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, it, yeah, like we mentioned, it was a safe place for queer people when that that didn't exist. Mm -hmm. So I think Mm -hmm. that um, it's monumentally important and... Mm -hmm. Even if our language involving some of this terminology has changed, I think that the themes and the messages are still valid and uh, important for people even now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what's y'all's favorite song? Oh, man. <laughs> um. I like... I like the transvestite from Transylvania. That, that's just like, I know it's a very basic choice, but that's the way I think it's you, performed, you miss said right choice. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like the way it's performed is just well, it's so perfect and just like I don't know. It's like in that moment, I just want to be Tim Curry. I'm like, oh yes, like this. Yeah, I have too the whole. Many. Oh, sorry. Oh, you're fine. Um, I have way too many favorites. Um, because it can it can vary between like. Um, Sweet Transvestite, or Science Fiction Double Feature, or, um, Hot Patootie, bless my soul. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it varies between those three a whole bunch, but, like, all of the songs from this show are, like, some that I will, like, listen to and just, like, totally go balls to the wall for. <laughs> um, just because they're, they're so much fun, and, like, of of course, like time warp is like one of the most iconic things ever. But like, I never I never consider it one of my favorites just because I feel like that's one that everyone knows, and I'm hipster garbage, I guess. But it's just one that I hear too often, and I feel like the other ones have a lot a lot of merit too. And so I'm just like, what about this one, guys? <laughs> <laughs> You know? I agree. I think Time Warp is a very safe song. Like, my high school choir sang it for our Halloween show. That's about as safe as you can get. The other songs, <laughs> they feel more either dedicated to the um, the 50s and 60s horror movie aesthetic, or they feel like full-on glam rock gay rights ball to, balls to the wall, like you said. And yeah. that's what Sweet Transvestite is. Like, you cannot take away the boldness of that song no matter how much you dilute it and i think that was something glee struggled with even Mm -hmm. though i think the actress who sang that song was amazing it's like how do you top tim curry yeah and the answer is you can only power bottom tim curry (laughs) (laughs) um i also really like rose tint my world that's another one i really like 
That's one of my favorite songs. I love science fiction double feature because I want to be magenta so bad. Like that's my dream role. And she gets to sing that song in, um, in the stage version. And I just, I adore that song because you have to have such a love for those old horror movies of the fifties to do all these little references that like, don't make any sense, but at the same time they do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, I hope someday someone writes a really gay musical about the slasher movies of the 80s or something. Oh, God, please. I mean, we have Evil Dead the musical, but I want one that's, like, more. I need more. Mm -hmm. I I live for that kind of stuff. It's just so much fun. Oh, yeah. And then I also, but part of me always secretly wanted to be Eddie because I love Hot Patootie. It's just a jam. It is a jam. I love, I love Hot Patootie. I, the, the fact that he dies, like, immediately after he sings is, like, I don't know. He's, like, such an iconic character because he's just there. He belts his shit and then he dies. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's it's, the dream, ain't it? <laughs> it's so funny and yeah. so good. Oh yeah, and like Meatloaf in and of himself, like I don't know, I've I I don't know much about his personal views, but like he in of himself was a very odd rock star for the glam rock era. Like he was a bigger guy, but his pipes and his stage presence were just magnetic. Like mm-hmm. in this movie, he shows up. He's does a little pirouette, he plays his saxophone, he rides his motorcycle, and you just, you just know that this, this guy is the the epitome of cool. Yeah. I want to add that, like, literally everyone in the room is giving him doomy eyes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, literally everyone is like, I, I want that man to fuck me. Okay, but, like, mm-hmm. my, that's, like, my favorite part, because he is a, like, he is a fat person, like, and everyone is just like, oh, fuck yeah. And I'm like, yes! Thank God! <laughs> Finally! Look, I get it. I get it. If someone like Meatloaf jumped into a room and did that, it's like the same thing with Jack Black, where it's like, I know oh my God. you are both, you you must be very good at sex. Yes. <laughs> I I still want Jack Black to play uh, Eddie in a, in a version of the show. And I'm kind of oh, sad that amazing. they didn't get him for the one that aired on what nbc or whatever but yeah that was it eh. it was an attempt to kind of try to update rocky horror and the thing is you kind of can't yeah no it works better as a timepiece for the era it came out in um than anything else especially now (laughs) Yeah, yeah i agree i i love that um Adam Levine played Eddie in that version, and he did a pretty he did a pretty decent job. Yeah, wasn't Jack Black though? <laughs> You're not wrong. Yeah, I mean, I think everything could be made better with Jack Black. It's true. Literally any wrong. movie on the planet. Yes, and I'll I'll quick explain how Eddie fits into the plot. Okay, so Eddie is this biker guy who's like a greaser from the fifties, and he somehow he's the nephew of Doctor Scott. And he ran into uh, Dr. Frankenfurter and they became lovers. And then I think Dr. Frankenfurter dumped Eddie. And then Eddie started dating Dr. Frankenfurter's groupie. Um, Columbia. Uh, Columbia, thank you. And Dr. Frankenfurter got either got jealous or just wanted to use half of Eddie's brain to make his creature rocky. And so he kind of gave him a lobotomy and then stuck him in the freezer. Um, and then Eddie just burst out with half a brain, sang a dope-ass song, and then Frankenfurter killed him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Didn't something he... that I know... Okay, oh, sorry, sorry I was thinking. So, like, it's like Frankenfurter dated Columbia, then dumped Columbia for Eddie, and then Eddie... The dump Eddie to start making Rocky, and then Eddie fell in love with Columbia, and then Frankenfurter was mad that he was into Columbia, and then took half of his brain and shoved him in a freezer and then killed him later. Right? If you've ever been friends with a group of more than three theater kids, this is not an uncommon scenario. <laughs> right? I was thinking about, like, our oh friend God, group yeah. throughout college, and I'm like, yeah, this just sounds familiar. Yeah. Being gay is hard then, like, because honestly, all of your friends you also have a crush on. So. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, especially when you go from a small town where there's only like maybe one other gay person in your school if you're lucky. And it's someone of the opposite sex as you. So like, you know, you're like oh, yeah. platonic gay buddies. The um, MLM, WLW, solidarity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then when you go from that to like a musical theater college where everyone is gay, it's so weird. Mm-hmm. And it's so overwhelming because like everyone is gay. Yeah. It's what, like, what? <laughs> what do you do? What What happens now? It's and like when you ask, "What's too shy to ask each other out?" Yeah. Oh God, yes. <laughs> What's the sexuality of the Rocky Horror characters? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the answer is yes. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I was about to say, like, Frankenfurter basically makes his way around the entire cast. Yeah. And here's the deal. I know that could be seen as a a harmful stereotype, which it is a harmful stereotype that you know people who are bi or pan want to sleep with everybody because that's not true. But here's the thing. If you don't want to, if you aren't attracted to Tim Curry in this movie in some type of way, I am very confused yeah, for you. That, right? That's also a harmful stereotype of trans people. Um, and yes. that that does get talked around a lot, especially now, which is a thing. Um, but it, it does happen and it is kind of harmful. But at the same time, this movie also makes every character so sympathetic that like it it doesn't matter too much to me because they all kind of do it yeah (laughs) but i think this was also released during a time and i agree with you every single character is doing this frank is just being honest about it um (laughs) this was released during a time of very repressed society like stonewall had just happened less than 10 years before this movie came out yeah like being gay was still a crime in so many states and it was banned essentially and now this film is just celebrating these things out loud and the whole they have to be unrestrained in some way in order to get that message across and i think it worked for the 70s and now that we have uh different problems today i think media should reflect those problems but i i don't judge rocky horror too harshly for that but i do understand if that is a deal breaker for some people because that is a very valid concern yeah yeah i mean i could definitely understand why it wouldn't be for someone um for me i think it helps that like the theme of the whole movie is sexual liberation basically Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. that was a big thing during the time period and that's probably why i I feel like if you try to update it in any way that it just doesn't work as well just because it is it is like a time capsule for the time period just just like um the the aesthetics of it plus like the time period it was made in I feel I feel like this movie in particular is probably the best way to like experience it in my opinion just because I I I feel like you know some of it could be applied to today, but not as much as it could be applied to during that time period. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. I think for someone... I think it's it's important for people who are still in the closet, because I think that oh, that yeah. idea of liberation is, is universal, but maybe not as culturally as it was in the 70s but maybe interpersonally i think every everyone especially queer individuals can relate to this idea of feeling ashamed of the the person you are or the desires you have and this movie just saying there is no shame in feeling pleasure like you uh, give yourself over to absolute pleasure don't dream it be it essentially go for it within reason <laughs> you know yeah yeah I also appreciate that this film used the original, mostly the original uh, cast from London and from uh, America and used people who are actually trained in the art of theater and musical theater. Because so often Hollywood thinks, oh, let's cast frickin' Meryl Streep. That'll make everything better rather than someone who is actually trained and experienced in this kind of thing. And it just shows, like, Tim Curry radiates off the screen and is iconic because he has played this role so many times and he knows exactly what the script needs mm-hmm. in a way that people who did like the the televised version just don't because they haven't had that experience and it's not their fault it's just i don't know i don't like this idea of just because someone is more famous they they are more 
right for the role. Like Mick Jagger was originally considered for the role of Frankenfurter and Steve Martin was considered for Brad Majors. But the director said, no, I want the cast who knows this script and who is experienced and who can do the job well. Yeah. And I I feel like that was a better choice than getting people who aren't really trained for like a musical um, in the way that they got for the people who did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's another thing I love about this is the the cast, even though they are more trained in the musical, they're not the traditional kinds of people you see in musicals. They're not the, the wide-eyed, ingenue, blonde, stick-thin people. Like, the cast who are dancing to the time warp, they're all different shapes and sizes, and they are so memorable and so unique and so fun. There are a whole bunch of different races, too, in the ensemble. And that's mm-hmm. that's also something you don't see ever in, like, musicals from pre-90s-ish? I don't know. It It's, like, especially, like, for movie musicals, it's, like, they're pretty white. And then seeing, and even though the main cast in this one is still pretty white, seeing, like, an ensemble cast that is more than just white was really interesting and cool to me. Um, mm-hmm. e- even though it's, like, you know, you can do more with that. It's still, it's still like, oh, hey, there's a black person there. It's not all white. <laughs> yeah. That, that made me a little happy. I was like, oh, hey, non-white people. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And just fun little tidbits, like Riff Raff is played by the composer Richard O'Brien. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of other little fun facts and tidbits. Um... Oh, Lord. There's, like, I highly recommend looking up um, information about the production of this movie on every end. Because, like, the costume designer, let me pull up their name. I know we kind of mentioned this in passing. Um, Sue Blaine, um, who inspired Malcolm McLaren, who was the manager for the Sex Pistols looks, and essentially helped shape the fashion of the punk era, because this was, like, the mid-70s, so it was just kicking off. And then Pierre LaRoche, who was the makeup designer for this movie, also helped design David Bowie's Ziggy Stardust-era looks, and just uh, this movie... That doesn't movie... surprise me at all. The, this right? movie sounds like it could be a David Bowie album. Yeah, a little <laughs> bit. Um, But yeah, like, this movie is a source of, like, a lot of like, gay fashion for the time period and later on, and we're still, like, referencing this kind of, uh, like, fashion today. Like, I, I look in my closet and I'm like, damn, I have shit like that in my closet. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. Well, like, Frankenfurter's makeup is so, um, influential on drag artistry and vice versa. Like, drag artistry influenced this film hugely. And, like, this was just queer films found such a huge home at the midnight movies like john waters started it with um pink flamingos and then this movie kind of it failed on release like no one wanted to market it because of how like counterculture it was and then someone said well why don't we just air it across um student campuses and like midnight movies for cheap and we'll try to get money that way and it found huge success and now it's the longest running movie in theaters anywhere and it's just, I don't know, it's the definition of a cult movie because it did fail on arrival. No one got it. And then it just became this phenomenon that hasn't stopped. Yeah. Yeah. You can't stop the gay train. Choo-choo. Choo-choo! <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is true. It's it's definitely, like, one of the top horror musicals ever. Um and it's one yeah. of my favorites, definitely. But then again, there's um, only a few horror musicals that I've really seen, and um, I would like to watch more of them. I know I still have not seen the Silence of the Lambs musical that Hannah has <laughs> brought to my attention, and I wish to watch that. Ah, uh, yes, um, I've heard. Of, I've heard a lot about that. Also, there's a re- there's a reanimator that. musical, and it hasn't been released anywhere, and it's only been on stage in Las Vegas, and I'm mad about it because I want to go see it so bad. 
Yeah, that sounds like it would be amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love those musicals, even though I do put them in a category of bullshit parody, because the whole point is that it's it's a humorous, if not well done, and so much fun shows that are based on these iconic movies, and they're not trying to be something new or original. They're trying to kind of pay homage to the the movies and the kind of camp aesthetics that they they garner and try to put those into the the stage whereas rocky horror i think was something so unique in that it is technically based on a bunch of different movies and it doesn't make sense plot wise but it makes sense emotionally yeah yeah that's a good way to put it i mean i think the biggest connection i found was frankenstein which like goes back even before movies i mean or maybe not started horror but you know it was a big um a big turning point in the yeah. genre like the universal movie monsters were like a really big deal when they came out and so they definitely influenced a whole bunch of stuff pop culture wise like we would not see frankenstein as a square-headed green dude unless like we had those movies so <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. well, well I think and they used oh go ahead no i was gonna say i think it's interesting to see how rocky horror is influenced horror also yeah like even down to we mentioned evil dead the musical they have a song called do the necronomicon that is basically <laughs> just the time warp it is oh yes well and they have um screenings of like evil dead in the musical they shoot um stuff out into the crowd and they have certain performances where you can yell along with the cast and that's all from rocky horror um when we yeah. yeah when we went to the evil dead musical when we took that road trip and to go see it and they sprayed blood on us <laughs> that was so fun that was great <laughs> and i think that's what I, I love about this musical is that it doesn't sacrifice the sense i, I mean it, it's self-aware in that it knows it's silly it knows it's ridiculous but it's still it just goes there it goes all in balls to the wall it has a sincere song from its villain it has like this goofy time warp dance i even love the scene where they riffraff shoots frankenfurter and magenta just turns to him and goes i thought you liked him he liked you they didn't like me and he's just crying and i have no idea what the hell prompted that line but i'm like i feel that bro (laughs) i mean like the that kind of pent up like upsetness is a thing that i experience a lot as a as a non-binary gay person so like i totally i totally get that line it it comes out of nowhere but it's like a feeling that you're just like oh yeah i get that (laughs) yeah um i one of the other things that i think is interesting is how much this i'm guessing at least i don't know for sure but how much this has probably influenced the drag scene Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So many people get into it because they're everyone dresses up when they go to see a Rocky Horror Midnight show. So someone may not have even known that they wanted to be a part of this this subsection of artistry um until they got to go to Rocky Horror and it was okay to put on makeup. It's okay to dress up. Everyone's doing it. You don't have to feel ashamed. You found people who who celebrate that and accept that and you can roll with it and do whatever you want with it. Yeah. Hell, what was it? Dragula, which is a show we've watched together. I love Dragula. I love Dragula. Hugely based. Like, I think the finale outfits at the Boulay Brothers are almost always based on uh, the Rocky Horror in some way, shape, or form. Um, oh, the- And- yeah. I mean, oh, really? hell, like, the three- <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was gonna say, the three pinnacles of Dragula could easily be applied to this movie, which is glamour, filth, and horror. Yes. Mm-hmm. Go watch Dragula. It's on Netflix. It's great. It's um, so good. It's a wonderful show. And it's NB inclusive and includes drag kings. Yes. Which is really cool. Mm-hmm. And Which um, other drag shows would do that. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. For real. I was gonna say, like, a lot of the times when I'm when I'm watching drag shows, there are so many, like, subtle references to Rocky Horror, and I don't even know if, like, the drag queens and kings are doing it. Because, like, I've seen so many, like, magenta-esque wigs or, like, uh, Columbia-esque makeup. Frankenfurter, for sure. And then I've seen so many drag kings with that pompadour that Eddie has. It's, like, mm-hmm. it's it's everywhere. Like, w- once you see it, it's, like, holy shit, this is all just Rocky Horror. <laughs> and I, it's one of those, this is a phenomenon that 
like the musical didn't just change it. The film also changed the scene in a way that possibly no other film has done what Rocky Horror has done. It may have walked in the footsteps of Rocky Horror, but nothing has accomplished what this movie has accomplished both for a community and for film in general. And I know like a lot of people say like, it's very basic, like they just set up a camera and watch people dance. And I'm like, how dare you ignore the dramatic zoom in on Tim Curry's face when he says, well, you got caught with a flat whale. And then he looks right into the camera and arches his eyebrow in a way that makes me feel things inside <laughs> and says, how about that? And then I'm, that is one of my favorite shots in cinema, just that dramatic zoom and that campy look to the camera it's just it's everything it's so fun i love it it is a whole lot of fun i enjoy it immensely yes we should go to a showing all three of us sometime we should we should i really want to do that it's on my bucket list uh i think that about wraps us up are there any last thoughts um did you know that Tim Curry is the voice of Nigel Thornberry? I do know. <laughs> that's a that's that's one thing that I feel like I feel like if you're a huge Tim Curry fan then you'll know that, but like he's everywhere and does everything and some some people might not even notice. So like he he does like musicals. He's been in the Muppet movies. He he voices a whole bunch of cartoons and like he he was just a huge presence during my childhood and I never really realized it until I got older and I I just really love that about him is that he he was such a versatile actor that he ended up in so many things and I I just really love him. <laughs> yeah. That's that's my last my last thought. I love Tim Curry. <laughs> I think my last thought is that I, although I think Rocky Horror should be um, examined with critical eyes and its flaws are there and should not be overlooked, but also I think its its positive attributes haven't faded in this idea of finding people who who also celebrate the weird and the macabre and the, the silly and the people who feel like they don't have a place. They do. There's a party of people waiting to accept you and celebrate you in all of your 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 you-ness and it is not a bad thing to be who you are yeah yeah that's a really good way to put it because you were born this way well even lady <laughs> yes. gaga's uh, aesthetic is very influenced by rocky horror oh i mean she yeah, is also completely. influenced by david bowie who was in turn influenced by rocky horror so like it's like it's like a generational thing you've got a timeline of of gay icons and it's just like a tree that just keeps going up and up and up and it connects to rocky horror and then like you've got all those other branches that go out and like yeah <laughs> beautiful yeah. uh before we go i do want to talk about some other shows on the lunar light network we actually have two brand new shows right now the first one is the bad romance podcast where the hosts pick uh, different bad rom-coms and critique these movies in a very humorous way. I've been thoroughly enjoying it because like, some of the stuff they talk about just sounds really bad. And I definitely remember watching bad rom-coms when I was in middle school. And so it's, there was a time... it's very entertaining to me. <laughs> okay, this, this is just a, a little anecdote because I remembered it. There was a time when I was 15 and I would watch 50 First Dates every night for like a month. Oh my <laughs> gosh. I don't I admire that. Do that. I, I was so depressed and that movie helped. I liked watching people get thrown up on by an elephant seal and a walrus. I mean, you're valid. <laughs> what an interesting and very specific thing. I... Also, Dan Aykroyd was in it, and I really like Dan Aykroyd, so, like, I would watch that movie over and over again because he was in it. <laughs> uh, uh, the, the other podcast I want to talk about is called I Can Fix That, where hosts Haley and Red go through, um, they pick different media and talk about how they could improve it. And it's, and it's not, I don't want to, like, get the impl give the implication that this is a 
podcast that's about picking things apart because it's really not. They still express a genuine love for the thing they're talking about while still saying like, hey, here's a way we could do it better. Or, you know, here's what we would change, which, I mean, who hasn't done that at some point? Oh, God, I so do it I, all the time. <laughs> yeah, I think it's really fun. The first episode, they talk about Danny Phantom, which was super fun. But uh, it was it was a really good episode. And their second episode is about Harry Potter, which I haven't listened to yet, but I'm really excited about. Uh, that can be found at LunarLightStudio.com. And you can follow LunarLight on Twitter at LunarLightHQ. You can follow Netflix and Kill on Twitter at Netflix underscore in underscore kill. Do any of you guys have anything you want to promote? I'm on Twitter at Frosty the R Zero Bot. Um, it it's a mess <laughs> um, because uh, we've been watching Toll Drama Island, and that's all I can think about right now. And it's there's bad. a Chris McLean. <laughs> Blog, I wasn't going to bring that up, but that okay. keeps following us and, like, commenting on all of our stuff, and I kind of love it. <laughs> he voted me off the island. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you did say you were going to dunk his head in a toilet, so I feel like that's valid. <laughs> <laughs> that just proves that's flexing. If he can't flex back, you know, he's a coward. He sent me a picture of, uh, it's like a parody account. Of course, it's not the real Chris McLean because, like, he's a cartoon. But like, he sent me the. the... I'm glad you clarified that. <laughs> but he he sent a picture and it was like edited with him and a gun, and so I just sent back a bulletproof vest image, and then he just added me to a list of people who were voted off the island. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was really funny. Like that was the funniest shit that has ever happened to me on Twitter. <laughs> Dear God. God. Um, I I have a musical coming out that I'm planning on posting on YouTube. Yes. Um, it's called Forces and Philosophies, a D&D musical. You should be able to find it on YouTube uh, sometime soon. Yes. I think. Um, but other than that, you can find me at the Science Fiction Double Feature. I love you. I love you so much. I love you so, so much. Oh, I love you guys too. (laughs) 